0: miss you i'm just so happy to be recording today
1: oh me too you look really cute you have a very like evie from the mummy style shirt but like in the beginning of the movie when she's in her cool librarian outfit
0: thank you you get me this is specifically my evie from the mummy shirt i bought it to go with my evie from the mummy skirt i Mm -hmm. have a full like disney bound-esque outfit that i bought for a specific thing that didn't happen and now mm-hmm. I just wear it as clothes.
1: <laughs> of course, I. One of my aesthetics is just Evie from the Mummy.
0: Right, right. Uh, yeah, she's amazing. We we love her. Uh, we love Brendan Fraser who got a six minute six standing minutes. ovation for the whale, mm-hmm. and he cried. Oh, it made me cry. No one deserves that like him, and more, so much mm-hmm. more. Yes,
1: I love that man. The Renaissance is for me. And for him. Renaissance? Have you not heard of that? That's what people are calling it. It's the Renaissance.
0: No, that's so
1: good. <laughs> yeah. And he deserves it.
0: For anyone who's like, really, Brendan Fraser, doesn't know what we're talking about, I'm so sorry to say perhaps this podcast is not for you. <laughs>
1: Or you should do your homework and go watch The Mummy and then research the life of Brendan Vajor and what an amazing person he is and then go and appreciate him with us.
0: Right. You don't even have to do The Mummy. There are so many good movies. Yeah. Georgia the Jungle. Classic. He did a really vulnerable <laughs> interview talking about why he was blacklisted in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. him being back is just such a win for the goodies. It's such a win for the goodies. It
1: is. <laughs> I love him. Anyway, this is not the Brendan Fraser podcast. <laughs> or is it? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll shift gears.
0: <laughs> 90 odd episodes in, it's just
1: the rest of forever is only Brendan Fraser. Yeah, you got 89 episodes of history, mythology, facts, stories. Now, episode 94 forward, it's just Brendan Fraser. Hey, hi, I'm Rowan Hall. It's just Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Hey, hi, I'm Tracy Harrison, and it really is truly just Brendan Fraser.
0: And this is Willing and Fable, the podcast that tentatively brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating, but we may transition to Brendan Fraser.
1: Each week leading up to this episode, we would talk about a topic from history or mythology, and then we'd write an original story to go along with that topic, though from now on it might just be talking about Brendan Fraser, (laughs) but... (laughs) If you would like to chat with us more about Brendan Fraser, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash willingandfable and join our Discord.
0: Also, follow us at Willing and Fable every gosh darn place on the internet. We're fun. We like talking to you. Your interactions make it way easier for people who don't know the podcast to find us and listen to us talking about Brendan Fraser. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Truly my favorite bit we've ever done on this entire <laughs> show.
0: Both you and I stubbornly refusing to give it up is part of the allure, I think. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Or, if you want to support this show, you can drive out of town with the windows down, taking only right-hand turns until you end up at a small, hidden little ice cream shop. Order your favorite flavor and make friends with Brendan Fraser when you sit down and enjoy a Sunday. (laughs) But no matter what you do, we're so happy that you're here with us now.
0: (laughs) So aside from the Brendan Fraser bit, I wrote that one. And Mm -hmm. that is based on a real fun afternoon I had with a friend in high school. Oh, that's so fun. Actually, he and I would do this fairly often. My friend Sean, we would just hop in the car and one of us was in charge of driving and the other one was in charge of just saying which way we would go at turns. And we would drive until we found something cool to stop at and then that would be when we
1: knew to turn around. Bold of you to do in the time when GPS was spotty at best.
0: Um, Yes, in Amish country where GPS is still spotty at best. Yes,
1: yes, 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 yes. But you know, it's good, it's good. You've always made me a little bit more spontaneous in that same way, so that does sound like a fun time with you. Thank
0: you, thank you. I'm coming home soon, be careful.
1: (laughs) Oh God, yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I'll drive, you
0: decide where we go.
1: (laughs) Oh, actually, that does sound fun.
0: <laughs> so today, Tracy and I decided we were going to do a little two-parter on like Mother Supreme badass mm-hmm. women goddesses.
1: We missed the good old classic mother mythology stories. We just hadn't covered them in a while.
0: Right. And we both wanted to explore pantheons that we knew less well.
1: Mm-hmm. So this was mm-hmm. a good
0: excuse. So today I'm covering Durga, the Hindu Devi or goddess who is worshipped as a principal aspect of the mother goddess Mahadevi. She is associated with strength, destruction and war, protection and motherhood.
1: Ooh, that's a good combination.
0: It is, yeah. It's This is a fun time. This is maybe a confusing time. It's, okay. It's going to be a ride. Okay. So Mahadevi is also known as adi shakti shakti in sanskrit means force okay in the shaktism sect of hindu all goddesses are manifestations of this single great goddess and she is comparable in her power or space in the hierarchy with the deities of vishnu and shiva in that Mm -hmm. sect By some, she is considered to be greater than any of these lesser male gods because she embodies their Shakti. Khan Academy defines this as a formless, energetic entity that is feminine and divine. Ooh. So though she is the source of their inner power, Durga is still derivative of the male gods. In fact, she was born fully grown, Created by what some people refer to as the Holy Trinity, which is Lord Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. And you can see where, like, the idea of the Holy Trinity is really to try to explain this to, like, Western audiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But basically, the, th- the three big guys. Okay. These three gods, along with other gods, combined their power so that she could slay the buffalo demon Mahishasura. India Currents writes, goddess Durga represents the power of the supreme being that preserves moral order and righteousness in the creation. The Sanskrit word Durga means fort or a place that is protected and thus difficult to reach. Durga, also called divine Shakti, protects mankind from evil and misery by destroying evil forces negative energy and vices, arrogance, jealousy, prejudice, hatred, anger, greed, and selfishness. So we can kind of see the mm-hmm. ways that the forces and the names and the figures blend and weave depending on where you are, what sect you're talking about, what words you're using. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So quick basic summary. Durga... And Mahadevi, for the purposes of our discussion, are similar, if not the same aspects of one another. Okay. It is more nuanced than that, but we're learning. This is the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shakti is divine feminine energy, but also is sometimes used as a name, usually in the form of Adi Shakti. Okay. So today, for my story, I'm going to tell the tale of Durga defeating the demon Mahishasura.
1: Oh, I was hoping this was your story when you mentioned it earlier.
0: (laughs) Yeah. One of my favorite sources that I used to learn this story was the story of the goddess Durga in English, mythological stories from Makomi kids on YouTube, but they also have their own website. And I love listening to children's stories about pantheons that I don't know very well. I don't know if mm-hmm. I've talked about that a lot before. I I pretty much always do it when it's a myth that I'm super not familiar with.
1: You and I have talked about it off-pod. I don't know. I don't know how much you and I have talked about it on-pod, but it's definitely something we've talked about off-pod that children's stories and Children's education is a really great way to get yourself introduced to either a new language, a new culture, a new religion, a new mythology, history that's foreign to you, all of that.
0: And because this is the beginning of my learning about it, children's stories really get over the hurdle of the fact that there are lots of small variations that could come up in any mythology by really showing the listener what the major theme That we're trying to convey is because we're trying to talk to a child and just get like these big ideas across Mm -hmm. so i found that super helpful all right once upon a time when the world was younger than it is today there was a demon king with a scheme part buffalo and all cleverness mahishasura had a plan he would perform penance for hundreds of thousands of years This would please Lord Brahma, and so pleased, he would grant Mahishasura immortality and incredible power. The plan worked. Thousands of years went by, and one day, Lord Brahma appeared smiling in radiant light. In exchange for his devotion, Lord Brahma offered Mahishasura any boon he could think to ask for. The demon pretended to consider for a moment, then smiled and said, My lord, I want incredible power. Make me invulnerable to death by any man or god. Here, Lord Brahma pretended to consider. This was quite the request, after all. But after a moment, he raised his hand and said, My child, for your devotion, so be it. Now believing himself to be immortal, Mahishasura behaved unlike one who shows deference and devotion. The buffalo god allowed his rage to consume him, and he used his new power to lay waste to the lands of the earth. He massacred all the people he encountered and brought darkness wherever he trod. Then, arrogant Mahishasura attacked the heavens. Enraged by the demon's violence, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva came together. They knew that if nothing was done to stop him, this beast would destroy the earth and the heavens. But Brahma's gift made him invincible to man and God. What could they, even in their great power, do to fight such a gift? Lord Brahma smiled his most cunning smile. I made him invulnerable to man and god. I did not say anything about woman and goddess. The three gods came together, clasping hands. In doing so, they created a beautiful light so bright that it outshone the sun. Seeing their working, the other gods joined, and through their combined power, the gods created the ten-armed goddess Durga. She was the embodiment of Adi Shakti, and she would save the gods... mahishasura the gods each presented durga with a gift to aid in her fight lord brahma presented durga with a commandal or pitcher lord vishnu gave her the sudarshan chakra lord shiva a dangerous trishul or trident lord indra gave her a thunderbolt adni gave her a flaming dart The god of death, Lord Yama, gave her a scepter. The god of the sea, Lord Varuna, gave her a quiver full of arrows. The architect of the gods, Lord Vishwakarma, presented an axe. Time, Kaal, gave her a sword. Then, Arivata, Indra's white elephant, presented Durga with a bell, the noise from which would confuse the demons that tormented the heavens and earth under Mahishasura's reign. And the Himalayas... "'gave the goddess a lion to ride upon. "'Durga rode against Mahishasura, "'who laughed to see a beautiful goddess come before him. "'After all, Lord Brahma made him powerful and invincible. "'For ten days they battled with a ferocity "'never before seen on earth,' Mahishasura shifted from one animal form to the next, but could not gain the upper hand over goddess Durga and her ten weapons, each clasped in one of her ten powerful arms. Then, on the tenth day, when it seemed to Mahishasura that he may finally triumph over this new goddess, Durga used her trident to cut off his head. As it fell to the earth, the demons retreated, the sky brightened, the trees blossomed, and the rivers flowed with crystalline purity. Through her fight, goddess Durga restored the balance of life.
1: The imagery in that story is incredible. My favorite part is imagining Durga with the ten arms, each with a different weapon, fighting. It has the the energy of the, the Thor Ragnarok slow-mo... Fight sequence. That's how I picture that happening in my head.
0: Oh, yeah. It's so visual and punk rock and just you can get so enthusiastic about it. I read in one location it was kind of a blog interpreting the mythology, mm-hmm. someone who's a practitioner. So, you know, this is someone's personal experience, but they were right. talking about how they view the goddess Durga's like protection and and kind of the way she actively fights for good mm-hmm. in conflict with Mahishasura, the buffalo, who I believe in some versions of stories and in the one he was talking about um, is like a, a buffalo is a symbol for like laziness. Um, okay. So it's kind of this conflict not only between good and evil, but between being active and defining your own destiny and – like sitting back and kind of, you can't just say, yes, I'm trying to be a good person passively.
1: Right. And laziness and destruction and passivity, I can see how those would go together in one creature.
0: Yeah. So Tracy, here's an image. This is the goddess Durga. Uh, She's standing victorious over the buffalo demon. It was carved in the ninth century from volcanic stone. And this is located at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It is a photo by Stephen Zucker.
1: So this is a statue that's all gray. It does look, you know, it's very much made out of stone. The buffalo demon is pretty small. It kind of looks like a large dog, but, you know, you can only get. So large of a buffalo demon in your statues, I Yes,
0: suppose. in this. <laughs> in
1: this, they were like, little lads only. It looks like the statue has no head for Durga, if I'm looking at it correctly.
0: Yeah, I couldn't find another angle on it, so I'm not sure if it's missing its head or it was never there. But I believe it is missing and that the what is behind it was supposed to show up behind her head.
1: Right. What's behind her, there's a big circle in the background that looks almost like it could be a halo of light. And then it has each of her ten arms with... Each of the weapons and in the hands. She's in armor but barefooted. It's a really cool statue.
0: And worthy of note, she's a hottie. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This reminds me so much of ancient Greek and ancient Roman sculptures of goddesses. Because in that, that pantheon, hotness is also associated with goodness. Yes. And we will see that theme come up in her
1: mythology interesting and it is interesting what because depending on the time and the place in history what constitutes as attractive or hot obviously changes pretty drastically and it is interesting seeing what we're looking at here is she just looks like this really like she, this could be a statue made today by someone of a beautiful goddess
0: oh absolutely and it is sometimes it's emphasized in other tellings more but it is fundamentally her hot girliness that gives her a bit of the upper hand okay again it could be emphasized in different ways depending on the telling but you know the buffalo demon was like "Hmm, little girl nope
1: (laughs) we've seen it before in mythology you see it in lord of the rings I, i never get tired of it the idea of someone macbeth i think is another one well, okay, Macbeth's not quite there. But the idea of, you know, no man can kill me. And it's like, I am no man. Ugh. The
0: I am no man energy is so strong.
1: Incredible. I love that. I I love it. It's incredible. It's the day that I don't love that storyline, you got to check up on making something wrong. <laughs> That's how we
0: know it's the clone, the evil clone. Exactly. So the story I told a version of can be found in a devotional text from 600 CE titled Devi Mahatmya, which is glory of the goddess. And to quote Khan Academy, it Hmm. exalts the divine feminine force Shakti, also known as Mahadevi. So that text is all about that. Amazing. It's worth noting that in other tellings of this story sometimes she only has nine weapons specifically so one hand can be free uh for i'm sorry i don't know what the word would be but to bless i think people okay mm-hmm. oh that's yeah that makes sense that makes a lot of sense and also probably our girl needed just a hand free maybe
1: um <laughs> it does help every once in a while
0: and then I read another story from an Indian publication that talked about how they fought for 15 days. So, you know, we get our our little tweaks here and there. I also learned about the rock-cut cave temple Mahishasira Mardini Mandapa in the town Mamel Apuram in Tamil Nadu, India. And I got so excited about this because I just want to go here. So I I did pull an image for you, Tracy. Um, I'm excited. Because during the medieval period, this town was an important port. And it is very well known today for its temples and monuments that were built by the Palava rulers between the 6th and 8th centuries. So it predates the sculpture you just looked at. And I'm sitting here going, cool. Oh, my gosh. Look at this relief of Durga saving the day. And then the article that I'm looking at says it's a relief cut of Chandika. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So Chandi or Chandika, which means the fierce in Sanskrit, is alternately described as one of the nine incarnations of Durga, another name for an early version of Durga. Oh, wow. Then I made it back to Shaktism, which is that worship that prioritizes the divine female energy. Mm -hmm. And so maybe she's just another aspect of Mahadevi and maybe she's separate but interchangeable. They're both mother goddesses. Listen, when you are not prepared for the dagger of nuance, it cuts deep. Oof.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is true.
0: So I don't think I really do have a way to parse out a quote-unquote rule for this because I don't get the sense that there is one rule. Like, there's no the Pope who gets to say this is what it is right now. Right, right. Um, So they have the same story. So this is a relief cut of Chandi or Durga.
1: Okay, okay. And she is
0: slaying the buffalo demon.
1: Ooh, this one is really cool. Yeah,
0: this was carved in the 7th century.
1: This one is out of granite, and it's a relief in the side of a wall, and you see Durga riding the lion, shooting an arrow, and then in the foreground is the buffalo god, kind of running away, but also turning back to fight. It's beautifully carved. There's so many little details.
0: The perspective is so good. And in this one, the buffalo god would resemble the minotaur, if people are familiar with that. very much so. bullhead man body. I like the way that there are, I don't know, maybe people or other demons are
1: falling. I, that's what I can't figure out. Because right to the left of the shoulder of the buffalo demon, it looks like a a woman sitting on her heels with her back facing us. And then right below that, it's a...
0: Oh, that cute little peach butt.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then right below that, it looks like someone falling from the torso forward.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. There are other people holding weapons too. The thing that I like about this one is she clearly has two primary arms and then all the extra arms are kind of behind her more, mm-hmm.
1: almost like wings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, what study.com called traditional Hinduism worships a trio of male gods at the head. That's Lord Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu. Mhm. Uh, the trio that made Durga. But Devi Hinduism puts a goddess at the head of the pantheon, and that's Mahadevi, whom I mentioned before. She has the many names, Shakti, Adi Shakti. The Mahadevi is kind of this overarching goddess, but she'll appear in other incarnations for different reasons, and Durga, in some tellings, is the form she takes specifically for protection and strength.
1: Okay. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I've heard it described as a jewel with different facets on the sides. And that's what this sounds like where it's it's all one being, but she has different aspects.
0: Yeah, we're going to do facetception too because Durga also has her own aspects.
1: <laughs> I love that.
0: I do love that. It's really invigorating. It's ge- it's mm-hmm. genuinely really invigorating. <laughs> so, her 10 arms protect Followers from the eight corners of the earth, the sky, and then the earth itself. Oh, okay. Yeah. Before we go on to kind of touch on what you talked about, the thing that I find so captivating about Durga, the reason I wanted to research her, the thing that made me really giddy as I kept researching her, Mm -hmm. is that her mere existence is saying – to the mortals and the mortals are saying through her that there is no one way to be a woman. Yeah. And you and I are involved in kind of that corner of the internet where people are like, what makes you a woman if you're not, Mm -hmm. if it's not biological sex. And in my experience, the reality is so baffling to the kind of people that ask that question And it's so thrilling to me to live because like you're a woman if you say you're a woman and past that, there's really no one way to do it. You could be warlike, you could be strong, you could be nurturing, you could do all or none of those things.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. If you really believe in your heart of hearts that you are a woman, congratulations, you're a woman. It doesn't matter what body parts you were born with. It doesn't matter how you express that womanhood. You could be fierce, you could be cold, you could be warm, you could be mothering, you could hate children, and you're still a woman.
0: Yeah, and I just really loved that about Mm -hmm. learning this. Um, And even though I felt like the more I read, the less I understood, that constant was really, really cool. So let's talk about the nine avatars of Durga. Okay. Sometimes called... The Nava Durga, uh, in Shaktism, Durga has nine incarnations, and we're just going to go through them. Okay. Shailputri, meaning the daughter of the mountains, uh, also known as Parvati, and keep that in mind, Parvati is going to become our, like, one constant name, bringing us through all these incarnations. Okay. In this incarnation, she has two hands, and one holds a trident and the other holds a lotus. This is the beginning of her, let's call it a quest, to become the wife of Lord Shiva. Her marriage to Shiva allows her to become the universal mother.
1: Okay, so Parvati is the universal mother. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) As far as we know, again, as people listening to this know, we love to share the information we research with you all. We are not ever claiming to be experts. We are claiming to be enthusiasts. So if you are people who are very steeped in the Hindu religion, please, 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 please share with us all that you know.
0: My understanding is Mahadevi is the universal mother. And Durga sometimes also gets to be the universal mother. And they both get to have incarnations and also yeah parvati like just you'll see in the yes. story that i
1: covered for next week we have the the person that i covered is the universal mother but then her daughter also kind of takes over the universal mother but then her daughter and her son kind of combine to become this universal yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so you'll see that too so it, it's complicated depending on where we uh we go in the world and, and i love that i love that there's just so many different ways to express humanity and what it means to be a god
0: Yeah. I read in some places people said, you know, Parvati equals Durga. And in some places people said, absolutely not. That is not true. No. (laughs) Right. So in the next incarnation, we have Brahmacharani. She holds a rosary and a pitcher. Okay. She symbolizes penance and devotion and In her incarnation as Parvati, there is a tale of her doing severe penance to prove her worth for Shiva. She does so well that Lord Brahma comes before her and she gains the name Ma Brahmacharni, and Shiva agrees to marry her.
1: Okay. All right.
0: Then we have Chandraganta when shiva comes to marry parvati again our overarching name mhm
1: mhm
0: he arrives in a terrifying form really He has ash all over him. There's snakes all over his body. His hair is matted. And then behind him, he has this terrifying wedding procession of ghosts and sages and ascetics and every manner of being. And illustrations of this show, like, people with lots of eyes and creatures that look like the way we draw aliens. That is rude. Why would he do that? I don't know. But... Parvati's family was horrified and she wanted to avoid embarrassment for either her future husband or them. And so she just transforms into her own terrifying form. And that oh is Chandraganta.
1: Okay. Okay. I was, I was horrified. I was angry. I was offended. Now I'm like, I love her. That's amazing. It's yeah. just like, all right, I guess I'll just become a monster too.
0: She has golden skin, rides a lion, and has ten arms. Sound
1: familiar? Mm -hmm. So the Mm -hmm. pair get
0: married, and I just love this, like, oh, you're going to be scary? Fine.
1: (laughs) I'm not going to be scared. I'll be just as scary. I bring the scary, sir. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if it was a test just
0: for that, to see how tough she was. I don't know. In the previous incarnations, the penance she had to perform to, like, be worthy of him like she basically wasted away she gave up water and food and air for thousands to millions of years oh my god i know and i don't know if it was cool that he showed up scary for her or not Mm -hmm. cool because if it was not cool after all of that i'd be like are you kidding me but if it was cool and she was like yeah this is my punk rock boyfriend mom i am also punk rock like I don't know. Yeah,
1: then I'm on board. Hmm.
0: So then we have Kushmanda. She is the ultimate source of life. She created Mm -hmm. the universe with her smile. That created light in the dark, in the blank world. And she lived in that light or the sun that she had created. And then she created other beings and other universes. And in this form, she possesses eight arms and rides a lion and worshipping her brings prosperity, power, and all manner of pleasures and salvation. Okay, this one's lovely. Create the universe with a smile? Are you kidding me? Like, there's a sonnet written about that somewhere.
1: Like... Oh, yeah. Don't you just want to love her? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. I want to hug her. How many arms did she have? Eight? I want to hug her with all eight of those arms.
0: If you could get eight arms to... You just want to be hugged by eight I want to be hugged
1: by eight of her arms. Understood.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be gently cradled by four of them and the other four, I don't care. She can knit or something if she wants to. Like, it's so considerate of you. I
1: demand <laughs> the full attention.
0: <laughs> Next, we have Skanda Manta. And this means the mother of Skanda. Okay. Skanda or Kartakea or Murugan is the god of war. In this form, she has four arms. Two hold lotuses, one raised in blessing, one holds her son. That's probably why I have it in my head that she can be multitasking.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting that the one who represents war has no weapons.
0: She's the mother of war in this. So, you know, she's oh. in the mother role.
1: And okay,
0: there is demon fighting involved in this corner of her life the next few incarnations
1: you might not know the answer to this is the son that she's holding a war god he is the god of war okay well then that makes sense
0: yeah and he has great responsibility uh in the future so she is the mother of the man the man
1: now the mother of war makes sense got it
0: next is katiyaini this is the form that durga is in in the story that i told This is the Durga form of Durga. So when we talk about like Parvati, Mahadevi, like this Mm -hmm. is the Durga portion. But also these are the nine incarnations of Durga. The way that she was born, the way that she lives, the battle that she fights is all the story that I previously told. Okay. Then we have Karatri. Kal meaning death and ratri meaning night. She brings death or an end to anything dark and evil. She's most commonly known as Kali, which is maybe one of Mm -hmm. the forms that American non-Hindus are most familiar with.
1: I know it's the one that I'm most familiar with for sure. Oh,
0: me too. Super yes. I didn't know that Kali was a form of anything else. Mm Mm-hmm. She's depicted as black with red eyes. She wears skulls around her neck and arms around her waist, but otherwise she's naked. She has four or maybe ten arms. In a lot of depictions that probably we've seen, she's blue with black Mm -hmm. hair and a long red tongue sticking out. She also fights demons.
1: Yes, amazing.
0: Then we have Mahagari. Maha meaning... Great, and gari meaning white or fair. So okay. after a battle with a demon, Parvati went through penance to attain her beautiful female form. And Lord Brahma advised her to bathe in the Mansa Ovar River in the Himalayas. In doing so, she shed her dark skin. She had to fight two more demons somewhere kind of in the middle of that. But eventually, her skin became so fair that the gods say that she is so beautiful and she's given the name Mahagari. There's Mm -hmm. another version where Shiva bathes her after her penance to become his wife because she just, you know, rotted away. But either way, she gets cleaned and she comes out, quote, white as a lotus flower. And we are going to talk about that shortly, my friends. Okay, good.
1: I was going to say something. I'll wait.
0: Yeah, there's... Uh, some unpacking to do mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. cleaning for whiteness. Mm-hmm. Um, so just sit tight with me. Then there's Siddhidatri. This is the Adi Shakti form of Durga that exists as pure energy, that divine feminine energy that I talked about. Lord Rudra, which is an avatar of Shiva, worshipped her because she created the universe, but also in this version, she had come from the left half of Shiva and they combined to represent the masculine and feminine energies Mm. of the universe. Okay. Okay. So, in an article by India Today, I found an alternate telling of the story of goddess Durga defeating the buffalo demon and it features humans only. It begins, quote, another tale that dates back 3,000 years says that Mahishasura was a non-Aryan king whose people worshipped the buffalo. Mahishasura's powers knew no bounds as he defeated many Aryan kings in the northern kingdom of Aryan Barta. Okay, here's where I had to pause because I have no idea what Aryan versus non-Aryan meant before the Nazis adopted it to use as a racial category mm-hmm. that the french writer arthur d gibbono had used um so for the thousandth time we on willing and fable are gonna say if you have some spare change please do give it to wikipedia uh yes. because you cannot google aryan uh and get anything other than just buck wild neo-nazi yeah, malarkey
1: yeah, I donated so much money to uh, Wikipedia this week while I was researching as well.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. uh uh-huh, yeah.
1: Because my story, no one had any information on it. And then Wikipedia comes through, and it cites the sources, and then you can go to those books and those articles, and ugh.
0: Yeah, Wikipedia comes through every time, and they have a really great article about the etymology of the word Aryan that is not racist. I love it. So, to quote Wikipedia, like the beginning of a middle school essay. Yes. Aryan is a term originally used as an ethno-cultural self-designation by Indo-Iranians in ancient times, in contrast to the nearby outsiders known as non-Aryan. In ancient India, the term Arya was used by the Indo-Aryan speakers of the Vedic period as an endonym, Mm self-designation, and in reference to a region known as Aryanvata, which is the abode of the Aryans where the Indo-Aryan culture emerged. That's a lot of words for basically Mm -hmm. in this earlier use, it's still an us versus them thing minus the Third Reich.
1: As all things should
0: be, (laughs) minus. Yes, all things. In the 2015 paper, India and Colorism, the Finer Nuances by Neha Mishra from REVA University and published by the Washington University Global Law Review, quote, Ancient India has not been a homogeneous society. Now, if we specifically talk of skin color in the ancient Indian society, there are reasons to think that there was difference of color between the Aryans, immigrant noble population, and their enemies tribal population of the region known as Dasyas and Dasas. There were constant wars between these two groups over territory. Various excerpts in Rigveda distinguish the two groups on basis of their varied appearance and color. But the killing or discrimination was not rooted in color, mm-hmm. which some scholars mistakenly believe it to be the case, rather, This was a time of constant wars and conflicts between the invader immigrants and the actual tribal population of the time. These conflicts were over territory control, wealth, and cattle, rather than color and race difference. The paper goes on to point out that there are numerous ancient Indian texts that describe heroes and beautiful princesses and gods and goddesses with dark skin, so it's very likely that the people who wrote those stories didn't think that there was anything wrong with being black or darker complected. Okay. The paper goes on. All the above examples further the premise that ancient India didn't discriminate on the basis of color... Presence and acceptance of beauty, valor, and status, irrespective of the skin color, was time and time again established through ancient texts. Dark color didn't attach a stigma and was used as a describing feature of a population or person, many times as an attribute of beauty itself, unlike in
1: modern times. End quote. Got it. So instead of saying, like, she was beautiful because she was pale, it was it's more... She is beautiful. She is pale, and blah 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 blah. Mm,
0: I wouldn't jump to that right away. Really? I have okay. no way of knowing when the paleness in that story started being emphasized.
1: Mm. <sighs> it,
0: hold that thought, because I, I okay. have I have more information for you. I I totally get where you're going, and I researched specifically for you, for me, for us. Thank you on the basis of that thought. Okay, but I think. Right now, it's worth understanding that ancient India did not have the colorism that is famously built into Indian society today. Right. So we're back in this story
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: of the mm-hmm. human version of things. This is my, like, crunchy little sweet treat before we go into some more.
1: <laughs> okay, let's do it.
0: <laughs> um. So Mahishasura is an outside king who defeated many other kings and came to rule Aryabarta. Because he kept winning, he came to believe that no man on earth could harm him.
1: So he's no longer the demon creature, he's just a very strong king.
0: Yes. Okay. And then a queen came to rule the north. Amazing. She grew her army when all of the previously defeated kings pled allegiance to her, while our bad guy's numbers were dwindling. So he asked her to become his consort. Of course he did. Of course he did. And she refused. Of course she did. And she refused. And she refused, while her army grew bigger and better and stronger, so they marched on Mahishasura, and our queen in the north stabbed him with her spear, and fed him to his own lion. Amazing. I am
1: no man. I am no man. Oh, so good. There are, there are a few women in history it's making me think of that I now I really want to cover on the podcast.
0: Yeah, I just want to tell that version of the story to a child as a bedtime story and just scar them for life. Yeah, you would. I can see you doing that. <laughs> it's good. It's important. I love it. I'm, I'd be next to you. Okay, that's the end of your sweet treat. When I was learning about those incarnations of Berga, I immediately thought about Fair and Lovely, which Mm -hmm. is a skin product. I think Unilever actually renamed it Glow and Lovely because there was so much backlash in recent history, but it's a bleaching cream, and there are, are lots of bleaching creams sold around the world.
1: Oh yeah. I remember this was like 10 years ago now, but when I was in China, you, I, want, I needed to get lotion and I specifically wanted to get rose lotion because that was when I discovered how much I love the scent of rose. And my sister and I were looking everywhere and you couldn't find any rose lotion that wasn't also bleaching. Everything, everything had bleach in it or like was meant to bleach and, and make your skin paler.
0: Wow. I, d- I didn't actually know that. Yeah. So fairness creams, or bleaching creams, are a 500 million dollar beauty industry in India alone as of 2020, according to who. Mm-hmm. And that is the most conservative estimate I saw.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. Wow, Because 500, you said 500 million? Mm mm-hmm. That's a lot. There
0: were other statistics that were reporting things would be in the billions in the next four odd years. Oh my God. Lauren Freyer for NPR reports that about half of all skincare products sold in India are lighteners. In the Aqua Tofana episode, Tracy and I briefly discuss how toxic mercury can be. Mm -hmm. It's maybe one of the ingredients in a mythical man-killing poison.
1: We certainly can't say.
0: I do not know, as I definitely, wink wink, have not tested that wink wink. No. No aquatofani here.
1: Nor madman spittle. Nor any of the other ingredients. Not a not a one. I have newt <laughs> <laughs> toad <toe> frog. frog. <laughs> anyway, can <you> continue, please. <laughs>
0: So some lightening products use things like B3, but others contain mercury or bleach, and that can seriously damage skin cells. There's also intravenous or pill lightening techniques, and they're known to cause kidney and liver damage. And this is modern. We're not talking about mercury in the past tense.
1: I didn't know about the mercury, but I do know there's this big trend. I think it's in South Korea, so forgive me if I'm wrong about the specifics. But you go and you get IV treatments. And it's not just for, I, I, maybe there's a skin lightning one. I know there's like, this one's for energy and this one's for this and this one's for that. And you go and you get an IV put in and do your treatment, but. Oh, well,
0: that's huge in LA. Not skin lightning. Is that really? Yeah, definitely not skin lightning. But yeah, if you're, it's like a big thing in LA for people who are hung over to go to like an IV bar and you get like a vitamin IV, basically a fancy banana bag. Yeah. It's a huge thing.
1: For hangovers, I can see it making sense. But for just, quote unquote, general health, like, it doesn't really do much. It kind of just goes through you.
0: According to all of Los Angeles, it does quite a lot for you. Uh, marketing.
1: Yes. Yeah. It was interesting being in LA with you when we were getting brunch. And you were like, you see that? Like, that's a – I don't even remember what it was. You're like, that's a plastic surgery place. That's an IV drip place. That's a this place. And we were just on a regular street at a restaurant. And me, who lives just outside Philadelphia, <laughs> was like, I'm sorry, What? I'm used to seeing, like, Jimmy John sandwiches and a Chipotle. Like, that's the max of what I see.
0: Yeah, I thought pointing those things out to you would be interesting because, A, we were in a very affluent part of Los Angeles, and it really says a lot about what communities expect to shop for or what people expect mm-hmm. to go to an area for. And we were in a place that had, like, very photogenic brunch locations,
1: very much so and then a lot of things for beauty (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh every beauty store you can imagine we walked past yeah all the big name brands had their stores there that was what really stood out to me stores that you can't i can't go to i have to shop online and they were just there
0: yeah i forget about that sometimes i am spoiled by being able to walk into like the just the store for the makeup companies (laughs) do i no but i
1: could no you could and that's (laughs) the important thing
0: So discrimination against darker skin in India is worse for women. There are ads Mm. aimed at women marketing products that lighten armpit hair, facial skin, and even genitals, but also arranged marriage websites allow people to filter out potential brides by skin
1: color. Wow. Wow.
0: In the article, Fair But Not So Lovely, India's Obsession with Skin Whitening, by Neha Dixit for Bright Magazine, she talks about her own experience with darker skin living in India, as well as the history of colorism in the country. Fair skin has long been part of India's national psyche. The various settlers, rulers, invaders, and colonizers who entered India, starting in the 1400s, were relatively light-skinned. This includes the Dutch, French, Portuguese, Mughals, and of course the British, who were in India from the 17th century until India's independence in 1947. Mm -hmm. During the British Empire, skin tone prejudice became formally ingrained. The colonizers kept light-skinned Indians as allies, giving them extra advantages over the rest of the, quote, blacks. The British colonizers were able to build on India's existing caste system, a socioeconomic hierarchy with origins in Hinduism, but which now permeates across Indian society. The upper castes, like the Brahmins and Kshatriyas, were traditionally powerful and also fair-skinned, while lower class, including the untouchables, the Dalits, performed manual tasks and had darker complexions. So... As I explained earlier, color seems not to have been part of Hinduism's early caste system, according to some historians, but now we know how it got mixed in.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. The good old Europeans.
0: And I don't know how, when, why that element of Durga's incarnations got mixed in, Mm -hmm. but it is so clearly a part of this kind of grander socioeconomic system or or maybe it's the reverse i don't know gods I don't think it's and fully the people reverse. and people and gods and right. it's always the the
1: game right it is but i would say it sounds like it's definitely at least partially maintained if not created or influenced by the europeans coming in and and making the the lighter skinned people their allies and giving them more benefits like that's just
0: We've talked about that a lot on this podcast, especially in relation to women, white women operating in the patriarchy in America. They're given a lot of nice, lovely things and made really wonderful Mm -hmm. allies, and then they no longer behave in their own best interest because it feels good quickly to have a leg up. Yes,
1: to have something. Mm.
0: And that – Behavior of I don't have to work out in the sun so I'm pale and now you know I'm wealthy is something that we've discussed on the podcast before. It's in cultures around the world throughout history. And the only reason it has flipped to tans being considered en vogue in recent history in America, kind of the Western world... It's for the exact same reason. It's I have time to lay out in the sun because I do not need to work as much. Yes.
1: I have the money and the resources to use my time to become tan and to become in shape. Yes.
0: And... yes (laughs) yes
1: <laughs> and, and that's i um we're working on you know dismantling that you know rowan and i are big proponents of both body positivity but also body neutrality you know there's different ways of looking at it and one isn't necessarily right over the other it's what makes sense for you but the the movement now of embracing people the way that they are i think is extremely positive and i want to be a part of continuing that forward but it's, it's hard when everything in the world is telling you that you're wrong for existing
0: yeah Everyone should get to love the skin that they have to inhabit for their time on earth. And mm-hmm. they should get to say whatever skin tone they have is beautiful for them. Those are those are the rules, but they're not, unfortunately.
1: Exactly. It's so easy for us to say everyone should be able to love the skin they're in, but when you're systemically put down because of the skin you're in, it's not even just about your internal monologue anymore.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm one of the palest people I know. And- Even in the very brief period where kids thought that that was fun to tease about, like, I get so many advantages or even Mm -hmm. just compliments for being as pale as I am. Mm -hmm. And so me being like, I love my skin is somewhat comical in this context. And I, I do wish it for everyone. Right. And it's just, it's so easy to say when all of society is helping you say it.
1: Yes. When we, you you and I are in a position where we can be like, you should love your skin. You should love your body. You should love all this. And we are not rejected for job opportunities or rejected for housing or put down verbally, put down online, any of that because of the specific bodies we inhabit.
0: I read a story about a woman in India who was a news anchor. And for years and years and years, she was not allowed to appear on either tv at all or what i would consider like the prime time Mm -hmm. because she was darker complected and it wasn't until more recent history that they even started being like oh she's really good at her job (sighs) and there's pushback about this so maybe we can let her do her job to the fullest yeah um so i have some good news okay in 2018, the BBC published the article, Dark is Divine, What Color Are Indian Gods and Goddesses? Discussing the way that for centuries, fairer skin has been considered superior in India. In the article, commercial filmmaker Dwaj Sandar says, quote, All the images of the popular gods and goddesses that we see around us Photographs in our home shrines or prayer halls, online on calendars, stickers and posters in shops and pasted behind auto rickshaws all show them to be light-skinned. Everyone here prefers fair skin, but I am a dark-skinned person and all my friends are dark-skinned too, so how do I identify with fair-skinned gods and goddesses? He even mentions that Krishna and Ganesh both appear with very light skin even though the former is traditionally Mm dark-skinned in the earliest writings, and the latter is an elephant, and there Mm -hmm. are no white elephants in India. So Mr. Sundar and photographer Naresh Neil teamed up on the project Dark is Divine to create photographic depictions of Hindu gods with models who have darker complexions. One of the models working on the project said that they were thrilled To be invited because, quote, no one wanted a dusky model, which is a term that's used very often in conjunction with darker Mm. complexions. So we have life imitating gods, imitating life, imitating gods, and that directly affects people uh, just from moment to moment. So, Tracy, here is their depiction
1: from the project of the goddess Durga. This is stunning. The photographer in me is like drooling over the way this was shot. The lighting, the costuming, the model is gorgeous. The accessories, so sorry, let me explain what I'm seeing here. So we see this beautiful model against a a red background, sort of center lit. Uh, There's a lion just behind her um, with a gorgeous accessory. She has the trident and the scepter and the saber, and she's in this uh, I'm sure there's a traditional name for the the garment, it might, it might be a sari, um, but it's rich in color and she has a headpiece on that is extremely detailed and it's just, the only word to describe this image is divine. It is, I would frame this and hang this in my house. I think this is so stunning.
0: The second I found this article, I was so excited Especially because these photographs are so to your taste as a photographer. I knew that you'd be excited. Yes, yes, they are very my speed. Everything about this image and all of the other images in the series is there to emphasize how dark her skin is. And it
1: is... It's so beautiful. There's even bells hanging above her.
0: Fantastically done.
1: But I just think it's really interesting to hear. I'd never heard the word dusky described for a skin tone, which I find really interesting because we describe like a a dusky purple as like this pale kind of purple. And it's a very, a a dusky color in terms of garments and fashion, it's very desirable. I could so easily, as someone who is not, has no connotation for that term in relation to skin tone in my head, because I've just never experienced it. I can so easily see that being a very positive word in a different world.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of talking around things. So in her article, Fair But Not So Lovely, Neha Dixit talks about how her family or other people would comment on how dark her skin is in relation to her much fairer family. Mm. And then her mom would go, no, she's wheatish, which is like a euphemism and a way to try to like make it polite. And she talks about experiencing that. And then There's words like dusky, and then, you know, fair and lovely gets changed Mm -hmm. to glow and lovely. Like, there's just all these words that mean the same thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Mr. Sundar says, quote, Appearance plays a major role in how we perceive people, especially women, and we felt that this needed to be addressed. Through the Dark is Divine project, we are trying to challenge the belief that fair skin is superior. So we'll have this image uh on the Instagram with the rest of the mm-hmm. images from the episode, but I would highly recommend that everybody go look up the photography from The Darkest Divine project because it's beautiful. Of course, Tracy and I love it. It's like so like it's so the vibe that we would love. It's just yeah. so gorgeous. Um and it makes me hearing because I heard it on video first, hearing the about the nine incarnations of Durga and hearing that moment where she washes herself to have fair skin, I like stopped what I was doing and completely transitioned the way my research was going. Because I knew that in India, bleaching creams are very popular, but that's not – I didn't know very much about it. Right. Well, how, the
1: deep-rooted impact it has on the people living there.
0: Right. And I never knew that there were historians saying it doesn't go back as far as you think it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't – now that I'm saying it, it's so obvious, but I didn't know that colonialism was really potentially like the spark that got mm-hmm. it rooted into the caste system. Kind of as a up note uh, to go along with this amazing art project, there is a festival to celebrate Durga's triumph. People – around the world celebrate Navaratri. It happens biannually and is considered to be one of the most revered Hindu festivals. It takes place over nine nights and ten days, the amount of time it took Durga to slay the demon. yes, People celebrate it in a variety of ways, with fasting, storytelling, dancing, and devotion. And of the two festivals, it's biannual, Sharada Navaratri, which is near the autumnal equinox, Is the time to celebrate the goddess Durga. In conclusion, Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like I only scratched the barest surface, but there's no one way to be a woman and uh, you get to decide what is
1: beautiful. There you go.
0: Those are the rules according to this podcast.
1: This was a really great kind of toe dip into the world of Hinduism. It's not one we've covered as much on this podcast as others, and I'm excited to explore it more. And this was really, really interesting to learn about. And I love the way you chose to address the whole topic. So thank you for doing yeah. all this research.
0: It's worth saying because it's so true. The thing that gets me excited about Hindu mythology when I'm reading it personally in my own time about how layered it is and mm-hmm. how there are different names and same names and facets makes it me also very nervous to present it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, it's it's complicated, basically, and you know there are pantheons that Tracy and I just inherently know better. So the adjacent pantheons are easier to jump to because mm-hmm. because of how people have traveled over history, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is not one of those pantheons. So it was it was really fun. I got I got down the rabbit hole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Tracy. Mm-hmm. We haven't explained Tell Me Something Good in a while.
1: In a long time. We should probably explain why we do it. Yeah. You should take the lead on that because you're the one who came up with Tell Me Something. This came from your own life experience.
0: Yes. So when I broke up with a boyfriend years ago, um, my dad, who's so sweet, sent me an Amazon Echo because he didn't mm-hmm. want me to be lonely which is which is <laughs> so cute. sweet
1: it's such a sweet dad move
0: it's such a sweet dad move but you know my dad subscribes to the the music thing and he was like you can mm-hmm. play all the music you know just so kind and i found out in being sad and wallowing i think on the floor i'm always on the floor um
1: you and i are both floor people such I mean, you're definitely floor people
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you can say Echo, tell me something good. Mm-hmm. And she will. She'll just give you a random good fact. And that's so cool. And I still do it to this day. So Tracy and I just thought it would be a fun thing to include at the end of every episode.
1: Much more charming than the fact that my nephews figured out that you can ask Alexa and other devices to play a fart sound. Uh, we think this is a, probably a more appropriate way to close out our episodes.
0: Yeah, my young cousin learned how to talk to Alexa and we all had to listen to Watermelon Sugar for like three hours. That's on so much repeat. better than
1: Gummy Bear. I had to listen to Gummy Bear so much became my number two most listened song in, I think, 2020 because my <laughs> family uses my account for listening to music because I'm like, you don't pay for it. You have children. Just use mine. <laughs>
0: I'm in, like, the top 15% of people who listen to Bo Burnham, which is all Inside, the soundtrack to Inside, and you got Gummy Bear.
1: I got Gummy Bear. I got Gummy Bear. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, okay, I will tell you something good. My something good this week is that I'm torn between two. Okay, so one I'll touch on very quickly is um, for our dear friend Casey's birthday. Rowan knows I've been planning a sort of treasure hunt for her, so um, Mm -hmm. she loves mysteries, and so I, my friends and I all got together and planned this whole mystery treasure hunt all around our area. And it ended at a restaurant. And then we gave her a bunch of gifts. And each gift had something that we love about her written on it. So that's one of my something goods. The other something good is uh, is more focused on me. And this is my ultimate grandma moment. You're going to see me become 80, 89 years old. I'm really into this one kind of hard candy, y'all.
0: Oh, my God. Tracy, <laughs> called and told me that and i can only i know this isn't exactly right but since you said grandma i can only imagine you as one of those grandmas that has the plastic baggie of assorted mints oh
1: this is so much better than that so anyone who watches like youtube or sophia nygaard she went to this place called lofty pursuits which i've been following online for a little while and they do Victorian candies. So their machines are from the mid to late Victorian time periods, their techniques are from that time period, and they make image candies. So they'll make like a dog or an alien head or fruits and then wrap it up and stretch it out so that you have this teeny tiny little piece of candy with this detailed image inside of it. And then of course it tastes absolutely delicious. I fell down a rabbit hole of watching their videos of how they make all their candy because I just love falling down crafting cool rabbit holes ordered a bunch of their candy it was delicious i've ordered more lofty pursuits candy is delightful and it is bringing me so much joy
0: you need to save at least like one for me to taste when i'm back
1: just when one you singular okay, you soon so i can make that work
0: we're measuring in days tracy
1: <laughs> i don't think you understand how fast i go through this
0: one candy
1: I'll put one aside for you right after we record. Thank you.
0: Not cotton candy flavor cuz that's your favorite and I don't like it. So you enjoy those. <laughs>
1: I'll save a peach one for you.
0: Yeah. Yes. Thank thank mm-hmm. you. You get mm-hmm. me.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, Rowan, it's your turn. Tell me something good.
0: I also have two. So um a friend of mine got me metal dice. They're Ugh, gold the best. and they're called flail dice because all the corners are sharp and pokey. Ooh, your favorite. I know. And he got them for me to celebrate uh, the season finale of Damsels, but also this really cool job that I got. And that was just really kind. It was like so unexpected. And dice. I know. I love dice. That's so sweet. And I rolled them on the season finale of Damsels and they rolled so well for me.
1: Good. Uh,
0: You know when dice are rolling so well that you're like, this seems sus. It's so good. (laughs) Like, <laughs> yes, but my Thea dice. My Your Thea, Thea dice dice rolls do roll so like that. well.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you always have to share them. Um, mm-hmm. And then my second something good, and the reason we were talking about Brendan Fraser at the top of the episode mm-hmm. uh, is because my friend Anthony just texted me out of the blue and was like, "Do you want to come see the Mummy with me at the movie theater? The Alamo Draft House was doing a Mummy party. They do watch parties where it's older movies." And normally, the Alamo Draft House is like a a movie theater where you can get full meals and it's really good food. And normally, obviously, they don't want you to talk during the movies, but they treat it more – they treat it a little bit more like a Rocky Horror-style movie event Mm -hmm. where, like, we all shouted, you're on the wrong side of the river. (gasps) That's so good. Like, all the good (laughs) lines are the, like, I'm a Librarian. Librarian. (laughs) <laughs> and so I bounded a little bit. I wore my Evie costume. I found the one other person in the audience, and we were both doing it. Good. And it was just so much fun. I got Tracy and I presents. Yeah. But, okay, so I, I know this movie word for word. Tracy and I know this movie so well. Yes. One and two. There were no other movies
1: after that. No, it's unfortunate um, so they did stop after the second movie. They didn't make it anymore.
0: Yeah, they should have, but they didn't. I know – everything about this movie and i jumped at the jump scares to a comic degree <laughs> like anthony would like put his hand on me like oh my gosh you sweet little bean like i was in it oh
1: amazing and
0: i i don't know how i forgot okay so you know how they kiss at the end and they have the sun shining behind them and yeah. their hair is glowing in the desert and all that stuff brendan Fraser. Does like a nose boop with her. He like brushes yeah, her do nose like a with little, his nose. A little nose boop. That is one hundred percent Brendan Fraser and not the director. I would guarantee it because he like he came in and he was like, "I know my job." <laughs> yes.
1: Oh, I, there are so many. I, I'm my favorite DVD commentary of all time is the Mummy DVD commentary. It's so good. If you ever get a chance to watch the movie with the commentary, and they talk about how they needed someone who could be like the tough guy, leading man, but he had to be really funny and really charming in a very sensitive way and them just talking about how they struck gold when they found brendan Fraser for the role
0: he just does it so well like the moment he's trying to catch her and he accidentally touches her butt and then like freaks out a little bit like oh it's so good (laughs) but let me tell you the nose boop on the big screen between the two most beautiful people in the world Mm -hmm. i was like i'm done i'm done melted
1: puddle on the floor oh
0: absolutely (laughs) 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 so huge thank you to anthony for just like knowing i showed up to pick him up i had the mummy soundtrack on in the car of course i was dressed as evie i was like ready to go and he almost i think fell into the street laughing
1: (laughs) i now have a new bucket list item i want to do that with you oh my god at the big screen yeah Mm. Mm. i want a double feature i've learned you can rent out a movie theater and get them to play a movie for you That's what we did for Casey's birthday last year. She rented out a movie theater and we watched Knives Out.
0: I forgot. Mm Mm-hmm. Mummy double feature. Mm Mm-hmm. The only two movies, one and two (laughs) back-to-back.
1: Okay, new dream. Unlocked. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. Thank you so much for joining us for this Brendan Fraser-filled episode. (laughs) And remember, stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend.
0: Or... Tell Brendan Fraser. And we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our logo is by Jamie Harrison, and our music is by Taylor Ashe. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch, or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course... Join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. Girl from Epening. <laughs>